Route 66. Today we continue our journey through the Bible from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. We're cruising through 66 books, one book each Sunday. This morning we are ready to study the ninth book, 1 Samuel. Let's just dive right into the structure. The book of 1 Samuel fit into the Old Testament. Well, as we've discovered, the Old Testament consists of three sections of books, historical, poetical, and prophetical. The historical section consists of the five books of the laws of Moses, the Pentateuch or Torah, and the twelve books of history. 1 Samuel, then, is the fourth book of the early history of the Israelites in the Promised Land. So what's the structure of the book of 1 Samuel itself? Well, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel were originally just one book in the Hebrew Bible known as Samuel. And even though it's one continuous account, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, divided Samuel into two books, mostly due to the size of the scrolls. The author of the book of 1 Samuel is anonymous, although early Jewish tradition says it was written by Samuel himself. He may have written the first portion of the book, but his death, recorded in 1 Samuel 25 and verse 1, makes it clear he didn't write all of it. 1 Samuel 10 and verse 25 tells us, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited them before the Lord. So Samuel probably did write much of 1 Samuel, but most scholars think that he did so in concert with several others. 1 Samuel 10 verse 5, 19 verse 20 indicates there was actually a group of prophets of whom Samuel seems to be the leader. And we read in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 29, as for the events of King David's reign from beginning to end, they are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer. And so all three of these men evidently contributed to 1 Samuel, as well as to 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. It's Probably likely that there was a single compiler, perhaps a member of this group of prophets who used these different sources to put together the book of Samuel. First Samuel takes place entirely in Israel the promised land, and covers a 94-year period from the birth of Samuel until the death of Saul. The book uh, details the crucial transition from a theocracy under the judges to a monarchy under the kings. And it's built around three key men, Samuel in chapters 1 through 7, Saul in chapters 8 through 31, and then David concurrent with Saul in chapters 16 through 31. So with that overall structure in mind then, let's move on to the story. Once again, we're indebted to the Bible Project for their excellent overview of the storyline of 1 Samuel in the video clip that we watched a moment ago. And once again, I've reproduced this entire Samuel chart across the inside pages of your lesson notes. Good luck reading it for your further review and study. We're just concerned with the left side of this chart today, 1 Samuel. So how may we sum up the story of the book of 1 Samuel. Perhaps the key word would be transition. 
transition. The leadership of Israel transitions from Eli to Samuel, from Samuel to Saul, from Saul to David. And the style of leadership also transitions from judges to kings, from a theocracy to a monarchy. Samuel himself was integral to this transition, leading Israel himself as a judge while also serving as a priest and a prophet, and then acting as a kingmaker, anointing Israel's first king, Saul, and then after his downfall, anointing David, both of those, of course, under God's direction. Now, since the video did such a good job of telling the story, I'm not going to repeat it in chronological detail here. However, I do want to point out just how many well-known Bible stories are found in 1 Samuel. There's the story of Hannah and the birth of Samuel, along with his dedication to the Lord. We read Hannah's words to Eli the priest in 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. In a day when the word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. There's the amazing story of the Lord's call to Samuel. During the middle of the night, four times he called to him. The last time under Eli's instructions, uh, 1 Samuel 3.10 tells us the Lord came and stood there calling, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. There's the amusing story of the Philistines' capture of the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Samuel 4-6 through when they put the Ark of the Covenant in their own temple next to their god Dagon. 1 Samuel 5 and verse 4 tells us the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off. Guess who won that one? There's the story of the day that the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed by the Israelites. And this led Samuel to set a memorial stone. 1 Samuel 7 verse 12 tells us he named it Ebenezer. Does that ring a bell? Come thou fount of every blessing we sing. Here I raise my Ebenezer. It means stone of help because uh, as Samuel said, saying thus far the Lord has helped us. There's the story of how God rejected Saul and selected David who was the grandson of Obed. Remember last week when we talked about Ruth and Boaz? That was their son. And to be king in Saul's place. And Samuel said to Saul, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And as God was showing Samuel whom he was to anoint in Saul's place, this is what he said. In fact, let's read 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 out loud together. Read it with me. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance... But the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. There's the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Right before he kills the giant with a stone in his sling. I love what he says, not only to Goliath, but he says it loud enough so that both the armies of Israel and the Philistines can hear it. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. There's the story of that wonderful friendship between David and Jonathan, Saul's son. In spite of Saul's hatred of David and his repeated attempts to kill him, Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. There's the story where David spared Saul life, not once but twice for Samuel 24 and 26. In David's words, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Then there's the story in 1 Samuel 28 that tells us just how wicked and disobedient that Saul had become by the end of his life. Consult a spirit for me, he says to this medium, this witch at Endor. And the book of Samuel then ends with Saul taking his own life. The Philistines found Saul's body the next day, cut off his head and stripped off his armor and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shon. Kind of gruesome. The very last book of the book of the book, 1 Samuel 31 verse 13, tells us that the people of Jabesh, Gilead, actually honored Saul. They took the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall. They took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days in tribute to Saul. And that sets us up then for the book of 2 Samuel, which begins, 2 Samuel 1 and verse 1, after the death of Saul. Remember, they were one book. And we'll just continue the story next week. Transition, that's the story of 1 Samuel, which brings us then to the Savior. Each Sunday, as we focus on one of the 66 books of the Bible, one of our priorities is to point out where and how Jesus is to be found in that book. Please remember there's but one grand central theme, a single scarlet thread, if you will, that runs all the way through Scripture, and that is salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so here in 1 Samuel, we want to stop, look, and listen for the Savior. Where and how does Jesus Christ appear in the narrative of 1 Samuel? Well, we need to look no further than David. King David is one of the primary Old Testament portrayals of the person of Christ. Like Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem. He leads as a shepherd. He rules as a king of Israel. He becomes a forerunner of the Messianic king, Jesus. That's why 15 times in the New Testament, Jesus is called Son of David. Yeah. Just a few examples. Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Matthew 12, verse 23. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Matthew 21, verse 9. On the triumphal entry, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Matthew 22, verse 42, Jesus asked the Jewish leaders, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they said. And on and on it goes 15 times in the Gospels. At the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22 and verse 16, Jesus identifies himself as the root 
and offspring of David. Son of David, that's the Savior. Brings us to our final main point, which is the sense. As we wrap up every lesson, I want to offer the sense of each of these books of the Bible. In other words, what practical take-home lessons can we apply to our daily lives from the book? In today's case, what instructions, what applications can we glean from this book of 1 Samuel? Well, it's interesting to me that Jesus referred to the book of 1 Samuel two times. And it's from these two references that I think we can offer the sense of the book of 1 Samuel today. Two lessons about what God values most. Number one, God values character over reputation. God values our character over our reputation. In Luke 16 and verse 15, the first reference Jesus gave... Jesus rebuked the self-righteous Pharisees with these words, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. That's a reference to 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 that we read earlier. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees here is about their twisted value of reputation over character. Their first concern was how they looked in the eyes of others, what people value highly, the things people look at, outward appearance. And that's the very thing that got Israel into trouble in 1 Samuel with their very first king, Saul. 1 Samuel 9 and verse 2 tells us that Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. And again, in 1 Samuel 10, 23 and 24, we read about Saul. As he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man? There's no one like him among all the people. It was all about outward appearance. It was all about the things that people look at. And if we're honest, we will admit that we struggle with this very same issue in our lives today. Our culture values reputation over character. We're more concerned with outward appearance, how others see us, than we are inward integrity, how God sees us. Our focus in our world today is on physical beauty, clothing styles, talent and ability, money and things, education, social status, popularity and fame. It's all about the applause and the approval of others. It's all about how many friends and likes we have on Facebook or whatever our social app may be that we prefer. Little if any thought is given to heart matters. Who or what we really are on the inside. In Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, Jesus nailed it when he confronted the Jewish leaders. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, 
First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So let me ask you, what do you value the most? Your reputation or your character? What others see and think of you or what God sees and thinks of you? You're more interested in pleasing others than you are in pleasing God? You're more into your outward appearance than you are your inward integrity? Let's read Jeremiah 17 and verse 10 out loud together. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. Hmm. I want us to just spend a moment in prayer together this morning. I just feel like this is such a heavy issue. And I think we need to take it to the Lord in prayer. God, God, would you forgive us for our pretense? Would you forgive us for our hypocrisy? God, we repent that we are more concerned with what others think about us than we are what you think of us. Forgive us for putting on a mask. Forgive us for trying to make good impressions on other people when it's all about the heart. God, would you search our hearts today? Would you try us and test us and see if there be any pretense and any falseness and any hypocrisy in us today? And if there is, would you please root that out? And God, may our first and foremost concern be our integrity. Who we really are, not who we pretend to be. Help us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So first, the sense of First Samuel is that God values our character over reputation. Number two, God values obedience over religion. God values our obedience over our religion. In Mark chapter 2, the second reference Jesus makes to Samuel, verses 25 and 26, Jesus defends Himself and His disciples who have picked some heads of grain out of a field and eaten them. And since it was Saturday, the Sabbath, the Pharisees accused them of doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Mark 2 verse 24. Jesus answered their accusation with these words. Have you never read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry and in need, in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. That's a reference, by the way, 
to 1 Samuel 21 and verse 6. So the priest gave him, David, the consecrated bread, since there was no bread except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees really focuses on their twisted value of religion over obedience. Their first concern was the Sabbath (laughs) and all of those unrealistic do's and don'ts that they had added to its observance. In fact, just a few verses later, Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees had it backwards. They had the cart before the horse. They were more concerned about religiously keeping rituals and rules and regulations than they were simple obedience. Again, that's the very thing that got Saul into trouble in 1 Samuel. Not once, but twice. First in 1 Samuel 13, Paul, Saul panicked in the, in the face of the Philistines and the battle that was impending. And he himself offered up a burnt offering before the battle, something that only the priest, Samuel, was authorized by God to do. And when Samuel arrived, right as Saul was doing all of that, he rebuked Saul with these words, You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after His own heart. And of course, that man after His own heart was David that we'll learn more about next week. All because God cho- Saul chose religion. He chose sacrifice, ritual, over obedience. Second then, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul went into battle against the Amalekites and he was given some very specific instructions to destroy all that belongs to them. 1 Samuel 15.3 However, verse 9 tells us, Saul and the army spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy. Completely. Now earlier I had you turn to 1 Samuel 15. So if you have your Bible open there right now, we're going to pick up the story with verse 13. 1 Samuel 15, we pick it up with verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What's the lowing? of the cattle that I hear. Good sound effects? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough! Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and He sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you wipe them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. 
I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag. <laughs> They're canceling. I just laugh when I read that. I completely did it, but I didn't. I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. That sounds like a pretty good thing, doesn't it? That was nice that they thought about getting these animals to sacrifice, right? No. Look at what it says. Samuel replied, verse 22, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Now as you read this, you might think, that was a pretty noble thing. That Saul did here and his men. They took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. So why was Paul, Saul punished for doing something so noble as that? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. God values obedience over religion. It doesn't matter how sincere or well-intentioned Saul may have been. The fact is, he disobeyed God. And if we're honest, we'll admit that we struggle with this issue in our lives today. Many churchgoers choose religion over obedience. We're more concerned about going to church and saying our prayers and paying our tithes, all of the religious rites and rituals. We're more concerned with that than we are obeying God. Our focus is on burnt offerings and sacrifices, going through the motions, busying ourselves with all kinds of church activities which in themselves may be good. And we're ever so sincere about it. We may even be proud of how religious we are. I like the way the message paraphrases Samuel's rebuke of Saul in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. Let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? Do you think all God wants are sacrifices, empty rituals just for show? No. He wants you to listen to Him. Plain listening and obeying is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. So second, the sense of 1 Samuel is that God values obedience over Religion. Two lessons then from Jesus and his two references to First Samuel. Two applications about what God values most. God values character over reputation, and God values obedience over religion. That's the sense of First Samuel. Route sixty-six as we're cruising through the 66 books of the Bible. Today we have focused on the book of 1 Samuel, the structure, the story, the Savior, and the sense. We'll continue our journey next Sunday with the book of 2 Samuel. There are 24 chapters in 2 Samuel, so if you read 3 to 4 chapters every day, then you'll read through the entire book this coming week before we study it next week. Several of you have said to me, 
that we're, you're doing that. And I'm so thrilled that you are. It's going to be a bit of a challenge when we get to the book of Psalms. <laughs> but uh, stay with it, man. You're going to get through the whole Bible as we work our way through it. This is, a, uh, I think, so rich with so many lessons that we can learn. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the lesson today. Thank you for the examples of Samuel and Saul and David, the good and the bad, that we can learn from. Thank you for reminding us today of what you value the most. You value character. You value obedience. And God, thank you for reminding us of that. Speak to our hearts right now. Where we may fall short, God, we confess that to You. We ask for Your forgiveness. We ask, God, that we would be the people that You desire us to be. Holy, separated unto You, the people that You use to bring the light into the darkness of this world around us. To that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.